So today we're going to, I'm going to give a background to the book of 1 Thessalonians and kind of about the Thessalonian church. So we'll look at Acts. We will also look at that. And at the very end of the time, after I do the background, we're going to read it out loud. We'll have um, several people that are going to come up and they're just going to read it out loud and kind of experience it in a sense like the church did about 1972 years ago. That's probably when it arrived in Thessalonica. And they gathered together on a Sunday, and somebody would have read this letter that had come from the Apostle Paul. And so what I want to do now is I just want to give us a background so that we can see this. Are you all ready for this? I'm going to read. So have your Bible ready. Um, I, think you, I think you'll find this enjoyable today. And so we're going to just kind of get the, the whole background, the characters that are involved that were connected with the starting of, of the Thessalonian church. So this is to be seen as a letter of encouragement. There are two times in the letter. So once you turn to Acts 16 first, I'll help you with that. Turn to Acts 16 first, and then you probably know where 1 Thessalonians is. And we'll look at just a few aspects of that um, as we walk through this. So in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. If there is something that is needed today for believers, it is encouragement for us to look in one another's face, to speak encouraging words, to remind each other of the significance of our faith and how important it is for us to continue walking faithfully with God. And so... Twice in this letter, Paul shares that, that this is to be a time of encouragement, being together as a body of believers. So as we come to see how this church is started, it is on Paul's second missionary journey. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, if you would follow along with me, and we'll find out how they get to a place called Macedonia. And then eventually how this church is started. So Acts 16, verse 1. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra. And by the way, you ever have trouble sometimes with Bible names? I looked up, I looked up, how do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce this? And it was pronounced two different ways. So I have no idea how you actually pronounce these. But I'm going to say Lystra. Some say Lystra. So it says he was spoken of by the brothers in verse 2 at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as they arrive in Macedonia, they first go to a place called Samothrace, Neapolis, then Philippi. We know about Philippi from Philippians, uh, from Acts chapter 16, and then they get to Thessalonica. And I want to show you a few pictures um, that are left of what is ancient Thessalonica, and we'll put those on the screen here. This was kind of, this is the oldest Christian church in the city of Thessalonica. Um, this was the gateway that kind of led into the uh, ancient Thessalonica. So if you came in, there would have been uh, a gate there. This is some of the ancient inscription inside of that gate that Paul would have seen himself. This is one of the amphitheaters that was there in Thessalonica. It wasn't as big as some of the others. And then this is, it was a port city. And so this is where ships would come in. And then you would enter through this section into the city. And this is, uh, I've told you before, somebody needs to make really good maps that you can put on church screens. And I couldn't find one. But the very, uh, you can see Berea that's there, Apollonia. And then you can see in the red box there, Thessalonica. And so that's where it is. It's on the Aegean Sea. There's a port there that you can go up uh, by the bread box and the red dot, and you can kind of see there um, that aspect of things. Another aspect of this, Aaron, you can put the next one up there, is there was a place that went from east to west through Thessalonica, and it went all the way over to Istanbul in Turkey, and it went all the way um, over to the Adriatic Sea over there, and it was a trade route, and, and because Thessalonica was a port city. Many things came in from other countries there, but also many goods from the Middle East came, and they would work their way uh, through Thessalonica, and then they would go north as well. But there was a place here, it was called the Ignatian Way, and so Thessalonica was a really key part about that. Let me give you a little bit more uh, information about that and um, about the city. So um, it had a population when Paul came through of about 200,000 people um, when he got there. So being um, this strategic port, as I shared a while ago, the Ignatian Way was there. So many goods traveled in and out of, of, of the city. It was also a free city that had certain people that um, led it called polytarchs. And we will see them in just a moment when we get to Acts 17. But they were local officials, Roman officials. They kind of locally led the city, took care of the city, and governed the city. Um, as a matter of fact... Uh, there was, uh, there's all been all kinds of attacks throughout uh, the centuries against the scripture. One of the attacks was connected to these people called polytarchs. Uh, many, many people that were attacking the Bible said, well, there's no, there's no reference anywhere about these polytarchs. But in the 1800s, they were doing some um, archaeology work in Thessalonica, and they found an inscription with the word polytarch there, which gave credence uh, to what Acts says about these, these people that were leading the city there. Um, it was also known as the mother of all of Macedonia. So that whole section at that time was called Macedonia, and the, the city was called the mother of all Macedonia. Let me tell you a little bit about a religion, because it kind of sets the stage for what we're going to see today about this church. You had the full gamut of both the Greek and Roman gods. There would be temples there. So you could go in, you could worship Roman gods, you could go in, you could worship 
Greek gods. Um, emperor worship was a big there, deal there as well, where you would worship um, Caesar. There were also a number of Egyptian cults that have been found throughout history as well. And we'll see in a moment in Acts 17.5, we learn that there's a large Jewish population that is living in Thessalonica as well. And so you have all kinds of religious backgrounds, and we find out as well that many people worshiping these false gods came to faith when Paul came to town and a great change um, happened. This is what this is what First Thessalonians 1 9 says. It said, For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now immediately these people who came to faith when Paul came to town were immediately thrust into the way of persecution. We'll read in a moment that just over a series of three Sabbath days, Paul is preaching and sharing um, about the gospel in the local Jewish synagogue there. And it only took three Sabbath for this to happen. So this is either over about a three-week period of time or just literally over two weeks, deep persecution came. So as they began to listen, these who have been idol worshipers, to Paul preach the gospel... They walked away from the idols, they came to the gospel, they trusted Christ, and immediately they are thrust into a place of persecution. And so some of them had witnessed what had happened with Paul, um, also with a man named Jason, as well as some of the other new followers of Christ who were dragged before the local authorities. And so they immediately, we learn about them, were willing to embrace their new faith at a great cost. They saw how quickly people had turned against the gospel and some of them continued to walk with Christ uh, no matter what. So it's at Philippi in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas suffered severely. They were put in stocks in the prison. If you remember that great story at midnight, they're in the Philippian jail and they are worshiping the Lord and all the prison doors fly open and the Philippian jailer realizes what's happened and taking place. He's like, oh no, they're all fleeing. And Paul calls out, no, there's no reason to worry. We are all here in this great story of the Philippian jailer coming to faith and his entire household believes as well. So if you would look in Acts 16, now in verse 38. And so at the end of Paul's time in Philippi, We find out what is happening and taking place and where they're going to go. So in verse 38, it says, so um, Paul makes this statement to them. Okay, y'all beat us. You've imprisoned us. And we're actually Roman citizens. And they're like, oh, no, no, we shouldn't have done that. And so verse 38 of Acts 16, the police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So fresh on their time from Philippi and the persecution and the evangelistic success, Paul and Silas and Timothy leave the city. They travel from Philippi to Thessalonica, 100 miles. There's no trains. There's no cars. There's no buses. So they are walking um, all the way in this 100 miles from Philippi and eventually land in Thessalonica. It took them about probably three days' journey is what it was called. And so they walked about 33 miles a day. Some of y'all are like, I oh, mean, I couldn't have lived back then. There's just no way that I 
could have done that. Um, their last leg of that journey was Apollonia. It's about 35 miles from Thessalonica. So now look in chapter 17, verse 1 of Acts. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, Most likely Jason was housing or hosting Paul, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, we're not totally for sure how long Paul stays there. If you just read this, you would say, well, he was just there for three three Sabbaths. Well, if you you always let scripture, scripture interprets what? Okay, let's say that together. Scripture interprets scripture. So you can read Acts and say, well, he was just there over three Sabbath days. Great persecution came. They were forced to leave. Well, it's more likely when you read in the book of Philippians, Paul gives us a little bit better likely of a time frame of what happened and took place. So in Philippians 4, 14 through 16, this is what Paul says to the church in Philippi that's 100 miles away. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. And then he says in Philippians 4.16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So twice, while Paul was in Thessalonica, the Philippians, 100 miles away, send two financial gifts to help Paul. Probably because it's a three-day journey from there, it's not likely that they were able to take up two offerings and get them there. So it's, it's probable that Paul, the trouble came after three Sabbaths of preaching the gospel, persecution came, that probably stopped the preaching. But they probably stayed maybe a few months for enough time for the church in Philippi to gather a couple of offerings and be able to get that to Paul there in Thessalonica. And so it's likely that he stayed longer, probably did some teaching, a lot of discipleship, he and Silas and Timothy pouring their lives into them. We know how bold Paul is. We know that one time when he was stoned and dragged out of the city, they thought he was dead. He gets back up and goes into the city. So for Paul to actually leave Thessalonica after a brief amount of time, probably is a clear indication this was a place of deep-seated persecution. 
This was a difficult place for them to continue to maintain in Thessalonica a gospel witness. And so it was dangerous and disruptive enough for them uh, to leave the city and to leave this newly planted church that had started. So in Acts 10, or Acts 17, verse 10, Paul goes from Thessalonica to Berea, but he's not done with the issues of the Thessalonians. So look with me there, and let's read 10 through 15. So the brothers immediately from Thessalonica sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there, and those who can Conducted Paul, brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So what happened was, Paul, being the focal, vocal one, is forced to leave Berea because of the people that came from Thessalonica. It seems clear that Silas and Timothy remained behind in Berea to do what? This is a response question. Likely to do what with the new believers? To disciple them to share certain doctrinal things, certain aspects of things. This is how you should conduct the church. This is how you do things. And so Silas and Timothy stayed for a while until they could get to Paul when he was down in, um, in Athens. So from Berea, Paul goes down to Athens, and then he goes on to Corinth. It's while Paul, Silas, and Timothy, though, are stuck in Athens that Paul is getting ready to head to Corinth, that Paul becomes deeply concerned and burdened about the Thessalonians. It seems clear by some of the things that that we'll hear today as we read the letter that he was deeply burdened and concerned about was the persecution doing something to their faith and maybe what was happening taking place in Berea had gone back now to Thessalonica and they're just giving the church there a lot of trouble. So he's really burdened and he wants to go back. He's like, I've got to go back to Thessalonica. I've got to see what's happening and taking place. But it's interesting, in the midst of that, it's, it's unknown, you know, it's, it's kind of the unknown of Paul not knowing what's happening to the church that he's loved and these people that he's been with for a brief time. So he wants to immediately go back, but he experiences spiritual warfare. Have you ever experienced spiritual warfare? Where it's clear the enemy is fighting you, fighting a church and doing something. And so in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 18, Paul says, Because we wanted to come to you... I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to come again and again, and then he writes these words, but Satan hindered us. And since he is prevented from going himself, he sends Timothy in his place to establish the believers in Thessalonica and to encourage them in their faith. For Timothy, this was not an easy journey. For from Athens all the way back up to the northern coast of Greece and Macedonia was 311 miles. So if he, if he went by sea, it was about that same distance. And if he went by land, it was that same distance as well. So Timothy goes back and he begins to pour his life into the believers there. 
So all of this in the book of Acts, in Acts 16 and Acts 17, is happening sometime between 49 A.D. and 51 A.D., and most likely probably 51 A.D. So just after a few months that Paul preached and planted the church, Timothy goes back to gain firsthand knowledge of what is happening with the church in Thessalonica. Wants to know what's happening on the ground. Do they have questions? What's going on? What does the persecution continue to do? And Timothy gets there. You know what he finds out? He finds out that they are actually thriving in their faith. The church is actually strong. And in some ways, they are, as a young church, they are being deeply obedient to Jesus in spite of the persecution that they had experienced. Now, there were some issues that Timothy finds. And he will bring those back and he will tell them to Paul in Corinth, where in Corinth is where Paul will write what we know as First and Second Thessalonians that would be taken back uh, to the church for them. But Paul, so Timothy will bring back some of the issues, concerns, questions that they had, and then Paul will write about that, and then the letter will get back to them in Thessalonica. And so for us, it's good. Um, I know we know this at the church here. It is good for us to have things written down in Scripture so that we know what to do and how to, how to operate and uh, questions that we have, deep-seated questions about God, things in regard uh, to the future. So let me give you a little bit about the background of the letter itself that we call First Thessalonians. Paul, as he writes it, includes in the beginning uh, his two close companions that were with him when the church was started. So he will, he will mention himself, he will mention Timothy, and he will say, depending on your translation, it'll say Silvanus or it'll say Silas. But we know this is the second missionary journey and Silas was with him and then Timothy uh, got with them as well. Most likely he writes all three of them because all three of them were present when the church began and all three would have been uh, ministering to the Thessalonians in those early days. It is a very personal letter. It's a unique letter. Um, that Paul writes here to a group of people that he had quickly come to love. But it was a letter that was designed not to be private. It was to be read out loud for the entire church to know what Paul is addressing to them and answering some of the questions that they had that Timothy had found out when he had gotten there. Now, Paul indicates himself within the letter twice that he's probably the dominant writer and author of the letter And some scholars believe this, and I'm one of them, and I'm not a scholar. I should clarify that. Scholars believe this, but I believe it, that the very first New Testament book that was written was 1 Thessalonians. It was most likely written before the four Gospels were written. So what we're about to read and what we're getting the background on today is about 500 years after the last book at the closing of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi was finished, The Holy Spirit had not inspired anyone to write any sacred words of God for about 500 years until 1 Thessalonians. And so this was written again possibly as early as 49 A.D. and as late as 51 A.D., but the Gospels were written after that. And so again, many scholars believe that this was the very first New Testament letter that was written. Some of the key words within this that we'll hear today is the word gospel, the word word, the word message. Those things are mentioned 11 times. It is a uh, letter about persecution, obviously. 
So he's going to talk about persecution, trouble, uh, suffering, and affliction seven times. It's deeply personal. Paul, you'll see it's, it's, it's really different than some of his other letters where he goes back and he reflects on and reminds them of the time when he was there, some of the things that they did together. Now, Paul, Paul references that some in some of his other letters, but in this one, there's a lot more detail uh, connected with it, with what happened there. So here's some of the personal nature. He says, man, I'm thinking of you constantly when I'm away from you. Um, the, the content of the letter highlights the, some of the memories of his time when he was there. He reminds them that he worked night and day. He was a tent maker. He made tents that people lived in and slept in. So he worked and he didn't burden them financially while he was there. He tells them, if you'll remember, I treated you gently like a mother and I taught you like a father. And he tells in the letter several times, I have a strong desire to see you again and come to see you again. He so, he so loves them that he, he sends Timothy and Silas also comes to minister to them and to be with them. He has great affection for them as he writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. As Timothy comes back and shares, this is what's going on at the church there. And, and Paul's excited. He's really encouraged. And so he writes encouraging words about their faith. And he commends them that they love one another well. There are two dominant themes that run through this letter. And I just want to touch on them for a moment. One is persecution, and the second is the second coming. So let me talk about persecution for a moment. So they are still facing persecution. That's part of what Timothy brings back. Yes, the church is doing well after a few months. Persecution is still present. They are still meeting. They are still maintaining their faith. And they are still rejoicing that salvation has come to them. But Paul writes back, once he gets that news from Timothy, to encourage them in their faithfulness that regardless of the trouble others attempt to bring to your faith, you maintain your faith. So he directs them to respond to the persecution with love, meeting the opposition with grace and generosity. This way of life is motivated, Paul writes, by the hope that we have in the coming kingdom of Jesus. So he writes to them saying this, I know you're persecuted. And I know you're kind of under the gun about your faith. But I want to remind you that Jesus is coming again. And you are to look to him and know that in spite of what you are experiencing, you keep your eyes focused on the one who will be returning. They seem to be so inspired by Paul's example when he was there in the short amount of time that he was there and how Paul handled the persecution that they did not seem to fear persecution. It seems like they had learned at least over three weeks and maybe just over a couple of months that this was the normal part of a Christian life. Christians are persecuted by Jews and others, and this is just the way it is. So this is how the gospel came to them, and this is just the way it is. They had been changed changed by it. And Paul writes twice to them to rejoice. And it's indeed true that that is what they were doing. And again, 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example, listen to these words, 
to all of the believers in all of Macedonia and all of Achaia. This was a newly planted church that had no pastor, that believed what Paul told them, lived what Paul told them, were suffering from Jewish people and from a mob there as well, Gentiles, and they were maintaining their faith in the early days. So that's one dominant theme that runs through this letter. Second one is the second coming. There's a very famous section in this letter um, that is known for what's said, but also in its connection to two subjects, and that is the persecution and the second coming of Jesus. So since Paul and Silas and Timothy were first there, and Timothy has now gone back, some of the believers in the church had died. And so the church had a question, is most likely this is what was happening taking place. When Paul was there for those few short weeks or a couple of months, he was probably teaching on the second coming. Trouble came, they were forced to go. He probably didn't get to finish all of the teaching that he wanted to do about the second coming. So Paul, Silas, Timothy have gone. They're there. Paul's taught them some aspects about the second coming of Jesus, about the resurrection that's going to come. But they don't have a complete picture, and some of the church members have died. And they're wondering, okay, when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen to the believers that were part of our church that are now in the ground if they're not alive when he comes back? What's going to happen to them? Did they miss it? And that's just kind of it? And so they have these questions in regard to this and with the second coming. And so they're wondering, what happens to those who have died? Do they just miss out on the second coming? It's believed by some scholars that it's possible that some of those that died in the church had died because of persecution. Because it's such a dominant theme in the letter that it's possible that some of the believers had lost their life. And the question is, what's going to happen now that they've died and Jesus comes back? So it's likely they've got some gaps in their understanding. So Timothy arrives and says, okay, here's a question they've got. They have a question about the second coming. They have a question about believers who have died before Jesus returns. This is one of the greatest parts of this letter. Listen to these words. We'll hear them again in a minute. 1 Thessalonians 4. 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so through Jesus, God will bring him to those, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with a cry of a command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So these people who are under persecution where death was present, he just tells them, 
Jesus is coming back. The dead in Christ are not going to be forgotten. They will rise and meet him in the air. His coming is going to be like a thief in the night. So faithfully live as children of the light. Incidentally, just a couple more things, and then I'll finish this introduction. So when Silas and Timothy get to Corinth, this is what Acts 18.5 says. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia... Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. What an example this must have been for Timothy and Silas. What a, what a privilege to walk around with the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine Apostle Paul being your mentor? He's trusted them enough to send them back to Thessalonica to help the church and to teach them there. They've been gone for quite a long time. It is a long journey from Thessalonica, I think I put it down here, all the way to Corinth, 328 miles. So you've got either by sea, it's longer by sea, but by land it's 328 miles to get to Corinth. And can you imagine the conversations they must have had about Thessalonica, Athens? What's Paul doing in Corinth? And when they get to Corinth... They didn't have to go, anybody seen the Apostle Paul? When they got to Corinth, they found Paul doing this, and he did it for 18 months. He stayed in Corinth. They found him, the Scripture says, preoccupied with the Word of God, teaching, proclaiming. And we learned a great lesson here connected to Paul and Silas and Timothy. What does the local church, what is it to do more than anything else? It is to occupy itself with the teaching and the proclamation of the Scripture. And so, what an example for them. Timothy, in a sense, in Thessalonica, becomes an interim pastor. He kind of learns what to do when he gets there. Paul's in Corinth. Timothy and Silas are in Thessalonica, and he's learning there. Incidentally, eventually, later on, Timothy, still being young, becomes the teaching elder, lead elder of the church of Ephesus. And so I want you to notice the connection that the local churches had in the first century and their impact upon one another. Timothy learns, cuts his teeth in a sense of pastoring in Thessalonica. Eventually, this great church in Ephesus, this this church that Paul had such a unique relationship with, and we've got this great letter, six chapters, called Ephesians. Timothy had an influence on both of these churches because Paul was pouring his life into them. It is really important. Everybody hear this. It is really important, no matter what your age is, to have somebody over you pouring into your life and have somebody underneath you that you are pouring into their life. Sometimes that's parenting, and that's the role for a season. But when parenting days are over, those of you who don't have children at home anymore should be finding someone that you can pour your life into. This is the model that we get here. We see also with the church in Thessalonica that, and I read it a while ago, that spiritual battle was waged against the church and was waged against Paul. And did you notice Satan hindered Paul from getting back there? So let's don't pretend spiritual battle is not real, that it doesn't affect things, and that it's not powerful. Paul was trying again and again to get back to Thessalonica, and he says Satan hindered them. And so there are some key themes through this letter. We're not going to go through all those, um, Aaron. Um, 
You probably find it no shocking surprise. My introduction went longer than I anticipated, but we need to move on with this. So here's what we're going to do. So I did calculate it if it was AD 51 that this letter came to Thessalonica. We don't know who took it. It's possible that Timothy took it back. Silas may have taken it back, but somebody took it from Corinth and traveled all of those miles, over 300 miles, and got this letter back there. So whoever brought it back, let's just say it was Timothy, and he brings it back, and he hands it to the leaders in the church, and we'll read about them at the end in chapter 5. They gathered this, this young church, six months old maybe by now, seven months old, eight months old, gathered together for the first time, and they would have gotten word out, hey, Paul sent us a letter. We experienced this in Nepal last year. We went out to this remote area where a new church had started. We were just going to see the village, walk the streets and pray. And by the time we got there, word had gotten out that the Americans were Christians were coming. And when we got to the church building, before we could even start praying, 30 people showed up in this Nepali village with Bibles. They're just like, we want the word. We want the word. And so probably that morning that they read 1 Thessalonians for the very first time to the church would have been a packed house. Just eager to see what Paul had written to them. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labor, of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men were among you for your benefit, and you became imitators of us, of, your, of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became example to the, all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, and how you turned to the God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, whom rescued us from coming wrath. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much, con- much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. 
but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more 
For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with the cry of a command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers... You have need, no need to know anything written to you, to have anything written to you. For you ourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and see that no one repays anyone for evil for evil, but always seek to do good to 
one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Can you imagine what that must have been like? First time in 500 years God was writing again. And he was moving by his spirit to call people to see the words on a page and to walk in them.